It was great being with uh, all your family group leaders uh, yesterday, and uh, what a great church. Guys, you have a great church. Uh, I am just really impressed, and I've been learning since I've been here uh, from your leadership. Just, I think just the faith and the unity and the spirituality and the humility of your leadership. Guys, you, you do not know what you have here. You really need to be grateful uh, for the leadership and for the church that God has given you. This is a treasure. And you need to believe that and understand that. God has, uh, has blessed you uh, to be here. You know, as we think about uh, 2015... Um, you know, there, this has nothing to do with my lesson. I just, just to get a mindset here. If you think about 2015, you know, there's a lot of things that in our hearts can stir. I'm, I need to accomplish this, and I haven't done that yet, and I need to lose this weight, and I need to uh, have, impact my neighbors, and I have to do what I'm not, and I have to be, and have to do. And you know, that's good, right? <laughs> Uh, that's a, an ambition, I believe, that God's put in our hearts to be and do what we're not yet. But I also think we need to really understand that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are saved. You just have to think about that for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 tells us that the very purpose of your existence is that you would spend eternity with God. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have accomplished the purpose of your existence. July 9th, 1980, Mary was 78, 1980, 11 o'clock at night, I was baptized in Christ. I accomplished the purpose of my existence. You know, and you can see when Paul's letter is to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Timothy, man, fire your, uh, the gift that I've given you, fire it into flames. And he said, don't be timid, be powerful, be loving, be self-controlled. He said, Timothy, suffer with me. Come on, buddy, you've got to change this, you've got to change that. Then he stops everything in 2.1. He says, Timothy, be strong in the grace. And you know, as we start 2015, we're going to talk about capturing God's dream. We're going to talk about what needs to happen, what you need to be. But we're coming from a position of tremendous strength. You are going to heaven when you die. Now, if you're not yet a disciple, if you've not yet repented and been baptized into Christ, what in the world are you doing? Get that taken care of today, okay? Today. Uh, make sure you're in the Lord. Okay, we talked about Joshua 3 to the leaders last night. What, what, uh, one more slide here. Let's see. I think I have my... That's my family. That's my lovely wife, Mary. Isn't she beautiful? And uh, she's here in the front pew. I just love her to death. And what a great partner uh, she's been to me for 30 years. Inspiring me, loyal to me, my biggest fan. I love you very much, honey. My son, Stu. And, uh, you know, I've been known as Stuart's father for the last 10 years. And so that's who I am. I'm Stuart, and that's his wife, Ashley. That's my little grandbaby. Yeah, look at that hair. Isn't that awesome? That red hair. And that's my lovely daughter, Olivia. Olivia got engaged two days ago uh, to the campus minister in Orange County, Chez Centeno. Great, great guy. So uh, really happy. God's blessed me uh, immensely. Next slide, please. We're going to talk about capturing God's dream. Isn't that a great, a great title when you think about it? 
God has a dream, doesn't He? God has a dream for Texas. God has a dream for Dallas. But God also has a dream for you individually. There's things that God has in store for you. If you were able to talk to Him, He'd tell you all about His dream, things He wants you to accomplish. We're going to read here in Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read about God's dream for His people, uh, the Israelites, as they went into the promised land. His dream was for them to go into the promised land. You know, they were captives in Egypt for 400 years, and God tried to take them into the promised land 40 years prior to this uh, to fulfill His dream, but they rejected God's dream. We'll talk about that in a second. But now, 40 years later, uh, he is now inspiring Joshua to take them into the promised land. This is God's dream. Let's read with me Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is eight. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon into the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go to the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now you'll cross the Jordan. Here to go and to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Skip down to 16. Then they answered Joshua, Wherever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we are fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as He was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey uh, your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. It's a great passage of Scripture, isn't it? As Joshua is going into the promised land, he's listening to God's words. And God says, listen, I'll give you wherever you, ever you set your foot. They've got to cross the Jordan and enter this, the promised land where there are dozens of kingdoms of strong people that 40 years ago, they said, these people are too big and they're too massive. There's no way we're going to be able to do this. And God says, yes, you can. This is my dream. This is your promised land. I'm giving this to you. Be strong and courageous. It was God's dream. You know, God has always had a dream for His people. Abraham in Genesis 12. God had a dream for Abraham to be the father of all nations. Joseph in Genesis 36. God had a dream for Joseph to save Israel by going to Egypt. In Moses, Exodus 3, to take people out of Egypt, God had a dream. And now Joshua. God is a God of dreams. 
We are God's people. We must be a people of dreams. What's got to stir our souls, what's got to stir our hearts, are the dreams that God has put on our hearts. Because that's who God is. The power of a dream. Next slide. The next slide. How many of you know who John Lewis is? Not Joe Lewis, the boxer, John Lewis. Okay. August 1963, 250,000 people uh, go to Washington to talk ab uh, about civil rights. And John Lewis gets up and he says, You know what? This government is not doing enough. Kennedy said he do this and he did that. It's too little. It's too late. We need this and we need that and we need all this stuff. And, and he just gave this speech that was just powerful. And then he sits down. And then Martin Luther King gets up and he gives a speech. And you know that speech was a good speech. But then there's a woman on the front row named Mahalia Jackson. And she said, Martin, tell him about the dream. He takes his notes, throws them away. He says, people, I have a dream. He said, I have a dream that black boys and children and white children would play together. He said, I have a dream. I have a dream that people will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the... Folks, that was 50-some years ago, and you all remember that. Do you remember what John Lewis said? you remember what Martin Luther King said? Why? Why do you remember what Martin Luther King said? Because it was a dream. There's something in us. There's something in every one of us that says, you know, this is the way things are now. But it's not the way things are going to be. And that part is the God part in you. The dreamer part. The part that's of God that's in you. That says, we got these problems now, but it's not going to be that way forever. I'm this way now, but I'm not going to be this way forever. My church is this way now, but it's not going to be this way forever. I have a dream. And when that stirs your soul, God is proud of you. Because in that moment, you are like God. I have a dream. What is God's dream for the Dallas church? I'll tell you, whatever you think it is, it's much bigger. What is God's dream for you? I don't know, but whatever you think it is, it's much bigger. And Isaiah, what happens when we don't have dreams? What happens when you lose your dreams? You know, in Isaiah 28.13 it says, So then, the word of the Lord to them will become do and do, do and do. Rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there. So that they will go backwards, be injured, snared, and captured. It says if we lose our dreams spiritually, the word of the Lord is going to be a bunch of rules. Your Christianity is going to just be drudgery. You're going to fall back. And Satan then will capture you. 
P.K. Barnard said, A man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. You know, we had a guy uh, in the church named Alfredo. And Alfredo has been a Christian for 15 plus years. and had been a great Christian, but you know, his dream had wandered. And, uh, but he was getting more and more successful at work, and he was getting more and more promotions at work, and, uh, and, and more accolades, a lot more money. And pretty soon, his job required him to miss midweek services, to do everything he had to do. And so he did that and kept getting promotions. And he could feel that his heart was drifting away from God, away from this dream for God, and into the world. And then... He was held up at knife point. And he knew when he was held up at knife point and robbed that God was trying to give him a sign. Saying, wake up. Get your heart back. Get your dreams back. But he didn't listen. Went right back doing what he was doing. Two weeks later, he was held up at gunpoint. And robbed again. And this time, he had to go to the, he was pistol whipped and had to be taken to ambulance to the hospital. And he's in the hospital and saying, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm going to get my dreams for you back. He made radical change, quit his job. He got a job that enabled him to be fully immersed in the church, fully immersed in the kingdom. In the last two years, he's helped eight people become Christians. You know, if we give up our kingdom dreams, Satan's got dreams for you, baby. You know, he's got dreams of success, and he's got dreams of money, and he's got dreams of of all kinds of great, fun things he's got for you. A lot of substitute dreams. Because Satan knows God's put in you the need to dream. And so he gives these fake substitute dreams, but they never really fulfill, do they? For a few seconds, for a few moments, but they never really do the job. What is God's dream? What is your God dream? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What that says is, is God has designed you in such a way, with your problems, with your experiences, with what you've gone through and suffered, even in your sin set, He has prepared a grouping of works that you are uniquely qualified to carry out. He's done all this work. He's done all this preparation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go up there before God and say, Yeah, that was great, God, that you had all that prepared. You prepared me specifically. You had all this great work cut out for me. But I rejected it and did my own thing. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to go before God and say, God, I was in tune with you. I listened to you. I listened to exactly what you wanted me to do. And I did it. That's what I want to go before God. Another passage there in uh, Psalm 40 and verse 5. It says, Many, O Lord, are the wonders you have done. That's past. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Why, to speak and tell of them, they'd be too many to declare. 
What this passage says is the things that God has planned for you, He said, if I were to have a cup of coffee with you and sit down and tell you everything I have planned for you, you couldn't handle it. I'd blow your mind. And you know, you think about that, that's true. When you look at in the Old Testament, you know, what did Abraham really want? All Abraham wanted was a son. You know, God says, oh, I'm going to do this, and you're going to have all these nations, and he says, just give me, that's great. I just want a son. God says, no, you're, you're, you're so much more than your vision. You know, what did Gideon want to do? He just wanted his little wheat for his family and just, just be safe. He's hiding threshing wheat for him and his family. And God says, oh no, no, you're saving Israel out of Midian's hand. No, I just want some wheat for my family. And I just want to be safe. That's my dream. God says, mm-mm, I got this other dream. What did Moses want to do? I just want to herd some sheep, have my wife Zipporah, good father-in-law, great life. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You're saving Israel out of the most powerful nation in the world. So whatever dreams you come up with for yourself, God's going, too small, too little, too dinky. Now what Satan hopes to do is to throw his little bone and hopefully, you know, he would gnaw, in the corner gnaw on this bone and it tastes so good, mm, it's so nice, mm, you know, this little bone. And God's trying to get you to look over here at the, at the banquet. Guys, we can't be satisfied with where you're at right now. God has so much more. Next, please. You know, the dreams that we have mean something. You know, God, Satan has his dreams, the worldly dreams. It's, at the end of the day, you just got to ask yourself, so what? Let's say you get it all. Let's say you get it everything. So what? What if? What then? What then? And what then? God's dreams aren't like that. God's dreams are, wow, I'm so inspired. Our dreams mean something. You know, uh, back in 1987, how many of you know Henry Kramer? A few. He's an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. We were together in Chicago in 1987. We were in a discipling relationship. And, and the doc came and said, Kevin, I have a dream that I'm going to invite every one of my ear, nose, and throat surgeon in my resident group uh, to church and share my faith with everyone. There's 25. He was the chief resident. He wanted to do it. I said, that's a great dream. Go for it, buddy. And so a little bit later, uh, I said, Henry, how's it going? He says, well, I'm doing pretty well. i got 24 of the 25. And I said, well, that's great. That is, that's pretty great. You know, he shared with 24 of the 25 doctors. And I said, well, how about number 25? His head went down. Uh, no, I haven't shared with him. Why not? Well, first of all, he's an atheist. Second, he's the only one that smokes. No one likes the guy. No one can stand to be around him. Uh, that's what... I said, sure sounds like he needs the Lord to me. I said, Doc, go ahead and share your faith with him. I mean, you know, tw- he's the last guy, right? Go for it. Well, it was Tom Grosh. And Tom became a Christian, converted his wife. 
and uh, you know, raise a family in the Lord. And in January of last year, was on his motorcycle, dead, bone, died. Our dreams matter. Our dreams count. Satan's substitute dreams don't matter. They simply don't count. The greatest tragedy isn't to have a dream and to fail. The greatest tragedy is to succeed at a dream that doesn't matter. Francis Chan. What is your dream? What is your God dream? You know, most time we have a dream, the other people around us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, somebody comes up to me and says, Kevin, I got a dream. Anytime somebody says that, I don't know about you, something in me goes negative. What is it? Kevin, I got a dream. Yeah, okay, let's hear it. No, 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 no. My dream is the internet. Do you realize how many souls can be saved if we do it right in the church and do this internet? Yeah, okay. What is it? How much is it going to cost? What do you want to do? No, no, no. And so I said, uh, you know, it's just bugged me so much. I said, okay, do it! Two years later, we have hundreds and hundreds of people that have come from the internet. And we have baptized a slew of people from the internet. But you know, you've got to get past the yeah buts. And I don't care how good hard you are, when somebody's got a dream, everybody around you is going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to get past that, guys. That's Satan's way to say, how serious are you about your dream? Next, please. Joshua. Why did he pick Joshua? You know, you, you think he'd go with Moses to me. Moses is pretty awesome. But Moses sinned out. And you can say, was that really fair? Well, we'll leave that one up to the Lord and Moses. But when you think of Joshua, he never saw himself as the man. You know, I like that about Joshua. Because I don't see myself as the man. And Joshua didn't see himself as the man. In fact, his mentor, the guy that he looked up to, wasn't worthy to take people into the promised land. And Joshua says, and I'm supposed to do it? And Joshua was one of the original 12 spies that spied out the land. Now he was faithful, but you know what? On the way back from spying out the land in Numbers 13, he was unable to persuade or convince any of the other 10 that it was a good thing. So he says, I can't even persuade these 10 spiritual people that it's a good thing, and now you want me to lead 2.5 million people? you know the dude was hurting because God kept saying be strong and courageous buddy <laughs> come on you can do it be strong and courageous and you know he's really hurting when the people respond to him come on Joshua be strong and courageous buddy <laughs> what does that tell you about the guy that he wasn't very strong and he wasn't very courageous But you know we're a lot like Joshua, aren't we? Do you think you're the man? And the problem is if you think you're the man, 
then you're not the man. Or the woman. God's got some work, and we'll talk about that right now. Next, please. You know, these people were pruned by God. Now, you think about it. You think, after crossing the Red Sea and seeing the entire Egyptian army killed by God for you so He could take you into the Promised Land, you would think that these people would say, we're on such a spiritual high. Come on, baby. We can do it. But instead, after coming off that incredible spiritual high, they doubt God. They rebel against God and rebel against Moses and wanted to kill Moses and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Now God has them for 40 years in the desert. Have you spent much time in the desert? Have you even spent one night in the desert? It ain't pretty and it ain't fun. 40 years in the desert humbling these people. Manna in the morning, quail, pillar of fire, uh, and a cloud leading for 40 years, humbling these people, pruning them, beating out their selfishness, beating out their self-reliance, beating out all of their selfish motives, beating out pruning, pruning, pruning. And so now you would think after you get beat up like that, and now you're talked about going to the promised land, conquering all these kingdoms, you'd think you'd say, now I'm going to rebel because it's been so hard. That not one person said no. They all alike said, if this is what God says, this is what we'll do. That's what pruning does for you. You know, God's been pruning you. And God's been pruning me. He has been beating the selfishness right out of you. Beating the self-reliance right out of you. Beating the pride right out of you. And it hasn't been fun, has it? You know, we had a discipleship group. The men went on a men's retreat. Orange County staff men. And we had this uh, discipleship group. And, you know, strengths and weaknesses kind of thing. I always enjoyed those. Until this last one. Um, and so, you know, we got to one guy, and, you know, here's some strengths and weaknesses. Hey, man, man, he's encouraged. Got the one thing to work on. Okay. The next guy, you know, strengths and gave him the one thing to work on. Hey, man, okay. Do you see it? Oh, I see it. They're all humble. It's great. Oh, it's going on great. Then it gets to me. And, uh, you know, and they get to the weakness part, and they just never got off of it. <laughs> It was one guy after the next guy, and then, then the, the one guy said, oh, I got some other things, and he'd go back to that guy. <laughs> and then the next guy, and you know, you, you're leading the bunch, and so you got to be humble. Um, oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. Oh. It's good. That's going to help me a lot. Oh, man. I'm going to pray about that, really get deeper. Oh, this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But, you know, as, as, as time went on, my heart starts sinking. It just went on and on and on and on. And so I left there, and I was flat, completely discouraged. Uh, and I got into self-pity. And then I wanted to blame certain people. And then I wanted to say, well, don't you appreciate... And then, well, that's not quite the way, but everything they said was true. 
And that was worse, because then I had to look at that. Then I got discouraged and said, well, everything they said is true, so I am this big of a loser. And then you go into that self-pity thing, that I really am this big of a loser. And, uh, and you know, at the end of it, I said, I'm not doing well. And, uh, you know, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 3.17. It just says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, there is freedom. And so I started going to God, and I said, God, I'm a mess. I'm a self-pity. I want to blame somebody. I want this. I want that. And I kept going to God and going to God. And all of a sudden, my heart started turning. And you could feel it turning. You're, you're, you're praying, and all of a sudden, you feel a light come into your heart. And the hope come into your heart. And, and, you, you, and you want to grab it. You want to hold on to it, right? You don't want to lose it. You don't want to stop praying because you're afraid you're going to lose it. And so you keep praying and you grab it. And you want, you know, I want more of that. You know, you fill up the heart with that one. You know, and, and pretty soon I got excited about the new Kevin that was going to come from this time. You know, who's the new Kevin? Who's the new man? That's going to come from this time. Then I started getting excited. Then I started getting grateful for these brothers, which now made me feel very bonded to them. Where before I started blaming them for telling me all the things. Now I start feeling bonded to them. Why? Because I've been pruned by God. Moses, when he tried to say, I'm the man! He kills an Egyptian, follow me! Nobody. Forty years of pruning by God. Moses, you're the man. I'm not the man. I can't speak. I can't lead. I can barely lead a few sheep. No, no. I've gotten you ready for forty years. Now you're the man. But I don't feel like I'm the man. Exactly. Now it'll be all of me and none of you. Now you're ready. You're the man. See, what's funny is when you don't feel like you're the man is when you're the man. You know, I went to Korea and I did a thing on the family group leaders and I gave them a big challenge. And everybody lines up and to a, to a family group leader, I can't do this. I'm too sinful. I'm too sinful. I'm too this. I'm too sinful. I'm, not, I'm saying, don't you understand? You're right where God wants you to be. God has been pruning you, and He's been pruning me for one reason. Why does it say in John 15 that He prunes us? So that you will be even more fruitful. That's why He's been pruning you and pruning me. Guys, we can't be a Judas once we uh, see our sin that we just kind of go off in in self-pity. Once you're pruned, you go to God and you become the new man or the new woman. Are you with me? God is with you. Next one. Well, that's the that's a rose bush. Next one. That's what a pruned rose bush looks like. Don't we feel like that? Next one, please. Now he keeps telling Joshua, Joshua. I am with you. Joshua, I am with you. That's important, isn't it? To know that God is with us. Guys, you know, above all else, that is what I want to know from God. That God is with me. That God is pleased with me. If I know that, when I know that, 
as I know that. Bring hell, bring any enemy I could care less. Pity the fool that's going to mess with me! God is with me! That is so strong and that is so powerful that God keeps telling us, Moses, I am with you. Joshua, I am with you. The apostles, I am with you. Hebrews 13.5, I am with you. Isaiah 41.10, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. What else do you need to know? I am with you. You know, there was a, a guy that came up to me and says, Kevin, I'm, I'm leaving the church. A good guy. I said, well, why are you leaving the church? He said, you know, I'm, I'm in some sin and, and I've been thinking about it. I've never really become a Christian. I've never loved God. I've never done this. And I said, you know, that's not true. I studied the Bible with you. And when I studied the Bible with you, you made a commitment. In fact, you quit your job, and you didn't have another job for spiritual reasons, and you did it with zeal and zest and power. And he thought, and he said, you know what? You're right. I had completely forgotten that. Satan wants to steal from you that God is with you. Last, last slide. Dreams are contagious. You know, I went to... Uh, how many of you know George Gerganis? Many years ago, I went to one of his last public sermons. And, uh, was, you know, old man. Had Parkinson's. He's preaching. He's going like this the whole time. The whole time. And he talked about his life. And he talked about his love for God. And he talked about his dream to win the world. And he talked about giving up everything when he was 70 years old to go to Tokyo to plant a church. And as he talked, you could just tell how much he loved God and how in tune he was with God, with God's dream. And as he spoke, even though he wasn't speaking well and he was going like this the whole time because of Parkinson's, he stirred my soul. And then he had a little offshoot there. It had nothing to do with the sermon. He talked about his wife. And he talked about how much in love he was with his wife. And he talked about how smooth his, her skin was. I don't know if you know Irene Gerganis, but, but looking at her, you wouldn't say, wow. But he said, no, she's a, she's a raving beauty. And her skin is so soft, and I'm so in love with her. And the more he talked, the more he talked, I said, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's the man. That's who I want to be. This is a man that's lived life the right way, God's way. And now he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. That is who I want to be. His dream is contagious and set my soul on fire. Your dreams will be contagious in the fellowship. As you dream and as you yeah, but, no, get through the yeah buts and as you set each other on fire, miracle after miracle starts happening. And 2015 becomes a year of captured dreams. God's captured dreams. I love you. Thank you very much.